Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode of Dark Venture entitled Hideout, starring the one and only William Conrad. Dark Venture was an anthology series produced and broadcast from ABC's Hollywood affiliate KECA from June 1945 to December 1947. At first, the program was heard exclusively on the West Coast, but beginning in February of 1946, ABC broadcast Dark Venture nationwide. Shortly after its national debut, Dark Venture gained a sponsor, Wild Root Cream Oil. In 1947, the Armed Forces Radio Service began to air previously broadcast episodes of the program as part of the Mystery Playhouse. Of the 130 episodes aired, only 15 are known to exist today, a third of which are rebroadcast from the AFRS, including the episode you're about to hear. And now, let's listen to The Hideout from Dark Venture, first broadcast January 7th, 1947. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Good evening, Creed. Welcome to the Mystery Playhouse. Tonight, we invite you to listen to Dark Venture. Tonight's Venture in the Dark stars William Conrad in Hideout. I just talked to the doc, Sam. Yeah? And what did he tell you, Inspector? Did he tell you to come in here and hold my hand? He told me you were dying. <laughs> Smart fellow, that doc. Education is a wonderful thing. How about telling me what happened? Sure, why not? At least you'll be company. Too bad I can't offer you a shot. <laughs> Take it easy, kid. Look, don't act like a professional mourner crying your eyes out at four bits an hour. I don't feel so bad about dying as I thought. At least I'm fooling the old lady with the cards. time with a lady. That was the second time cards really were important in my life. The first time was that night of the big poker game. Until that night, I was just another tenhorn floating around town, always ready to latch onto a quick buck. Matter of fact, I was leaving my room to go downstairs and buy a dope sheet for the next day's races when the phone started ringing. Yeah? Sam, this is Bill Collins. Oh, yeah, Mr. Collins. Look, you, uh, why, sure. Why not? Come on over to room 612 at the Palace Hotel. I'm having a little poker game. Well, I'm afraid you got the wrong guy. I, I don't have the money to play in your league, Mr. Collins. Who said anything about playing? We need a boy to run out for sandwiches and keep his eye open for cops. You want the job? Okay. Get over here right away. And uh, say, just in case, 
You better bring a gun. I could use the dough all right, but the main reason I went was to watch one of Phil Collins' famous poker games. They were the talk of the whole town. Most of the big-shot gamblers and politicians played. There was nothing for 50,000 bucks to change hands in one night. There were three other players besides Collins, but one of them, Mike Barnes, the political big shot, had to run a tough luck. And around midnight, he left to go across town to his apartment for more money. The three others just sat there with nothing to do. Uh, Sam? Yeah, Mr. Collins? Look, we can't play with three hands. How about you sitting in till Mike gets back? Oh, I, I only got uh, 40 bucks to my name. All right, so we'll cut the stakes down to a five-buck limit. Okay, boys? Yeah. We don't want to sit here like dopes. Come on, sit down. Well, I, I I don't know. Forty bucks don't mean nothing to you guys, but to me... Sit down. We'll give you back what you lose. So I sat down. Me with forty bucks and these other guys with maybe ninety grand in front of them. My collar felt tight and I couldn't breathe so good. And when Phil dealt out the cards, my fingers started shaking. What's the matter, Sam? Still worried about that forty bucks? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I hit a streak of crazy luck. Three straight hands I won. And by the time Mike Barnes came back, I had 300 bucks in front of me. Ah, uh, sit down, Mike. Sam was just keeping your seat warm. Okay, Sam, now fold all that big money up nice and go back to the door. Look, uh, there's room at the table for another hand. Uh, how about letting me play a while longer, right? I feel kind of lucky. You look kind of sick. <laughs> Go on back to the door, Sam. Ain't that just like a tin horn? Makes a couple of bucks and figures he's going to clean us up. A funk like this needs a list. Oh, no, you guys got me wrong. Let's I didn't... make room for it. Huh? Sure. Let's see how long that 300 bucks will last. My deal. Oh, and Sam, uh, we go back to no limit. Okay. And Sam, uh, wipe the sweat off your hands. You'll get the cards all wet. After that, I won five hands in a row. Every card I drew was right. Every bet I made was right. In three hours, I won more than 20,000 bucks. And one night, my whole life was changing. I didn't even think about the cards anymore. I was kind of imagining how things were going to be from now on. And then, right while I was dreaming about all the swell things that were going to happen to me, that good little fairy that had been waving that wand over my head must have got a little sleepy and turned in. What have you got, Sam? Two pairs? Hmm, not good enough. Three jacks. Well, that's more like it. And just like that, my luck changed. One minute sitting on top of the world, and the next minute sliding down the chute. Jack high straight. And beat you, Sam. Three deuces. My part. What happened to your luck, Sammy? In the first half hour, I lost 7,000 bucks. In the second half hour, I started betting crazy, trying to win back the 7,000. And I lost 10,000 more. Quit. Quit while you're still a few thousand ahead. I kept telling myself that over and over again, but I couldn't quit. And by 3 o'clock in the morning, I was flat busted. Well, Sammy, what happened to all that dough? You saw what happened to you it. You should have just watched the door like we told you. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, shut up. Hey, hey, slow down. What's so funny? You weren't laughing a couple of hours ago. I told you to slow down. I know I saw. You didn't keep your promise, Phil. What do you mean? You said if he lost his 40 bucks, you'd give it back to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I did at that. <laughs> and listening to him laugh, looking at that fat, ugly faces, something happened to me. It was like someone pulling a switch in my brain. I felt all the blood rush into my head. Without even thinking about it, I took the gun I brought along. Hey, what are you doing with that gun? I'm taking the money I won. You what? Sit where you are, all of you. And I'm taking this dough. Yeah, it's mine, mine. Mike, I told you to sit where you are. You're not taking that money. Look, I'm telling you. I'm taking that gun away from you. And then I'm going to kick your teeth. I tell you, stay where you are. All right, then. Now, does anyone else want to stop me? No. Take the money and start running. But while you're running, keep remembering who you just shot. Mike Barnes. One of the biggest guys in this town. Yeah, start running. But don't take any bets on how far you'll get. Yeah, I started running all right. In half an hour, I was on a plane headed for Chicago. I went out to the south side and looked up an old friend, Dave Jordan. Dave ran a little rooming house on 35th Street where a guy could bury himself and no questions asked. Dave remembered me the second he opened the door. Sam Gordon, come on in. See by the papers, you're famous. Yeah. You, you got a room, Dave? I think so. But the rent's pretty high. How high? A hundred bucks a day, and you share the bath. I didn't stick my nose out of that room for a month. But after a while, it started getting me, being cooped up all the time. And... Three nights ago, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I decided it was all right to go for a little walk. I walked around for maybe half an hour, just breathing in the fresh air. I'd left my money back in the room just to make sure that I wouldn't weaken and go in some bar. And then on my way back, I saw this little side street carnival, and I couldn't resist going over to it and walking down the little midway. almost midnight and there weren't many people around, but it sure felt good just seeing the lights again. How about trying your luck with the dust, buddy? Sleep with that. Huh? Oh, no, thanks. Come on over and look at the glasses you can win. I got some dandies. No, I ain't interested. You would be if you came over. What? What do you want? I don't care if you throw the dots or not. I just work here. I only wanted to put you wise. Put me wise to what? You must be hot. What do you mean? Ever since you came on the midway, that cop's been following you. I turned quick, and there he was. Just a plain cop, not 20 feet away. Looking as though he couldn't decide about me. I could almost see him thumbing through his mind, trying to figure where he'd seen my face before. I started down the midway, trying to keep from running. And he called after me. Hey, fellow, wait. I want to talk to you. I kept on going. I actually, I didn't know he was calling me. A small crowd came out of one of the sideshows, and I mingled with it. And then I saw a little shack, and the door had a little sign on it. Welcome. Yeah, that was for me. You have come for a reading? Huh? You have come to Madame Zara for a reading? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, a reading. Come with me into my inner room. Okay, okay. Right through this raceway. Sit down here. It is quiet here and dark. The mine can be at rest. Yeah, yeah, it's swelling here. Yeah. 
You want just a reading of the cards? Or are you in need of special counseling? No, no, just a card reading. That'll be okay. She sure had a good act that day. But she had me shuffle the cards and then cut them three times toward me. And she started spreading them face up on the little table. And then all of a sudden she stopped and I saw her look up at me quickly. These cards, I hate them. They have been spiteful all day. Here, we will use this deck. She broke open a new deck and then things seemed to go right. She told me all the good things that were going to happen to me. A new business venture, a trip across water, a letter with money in it. And when she was through... These cards have been very favorable for you. You are going to have a good year. That will be three dollars. Three dollars, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, say, I, I I didn't bring any money on with me. I, I left it in my room, but don't worry, I'll pay you. You think you are going to get away with this one? Madam Zara, are you inside? Cop. Now look, lady, I'm holding a gun in my what? hand. Madam Zara! What is it? Did you see a young, heavy set guy in a black top coat come by this way in the last 15 minutes? I'm warning you. Why, why, no, I have been back here giving this, giving this lady a reading. Lady, huh? Okay, he must be around here somewhere. He is gone. Now get out of here. Is there a back entrance to the shack? Yes, right through here. Okay. But first I am going to tell you what I really saw in those cards I threw away. Uh, save it for the yokels. I ain't interested. Twice it came up and it must be the truth. Shut up and tell me how to get out of here. You are going to die. But... What? Within three days you will be killed by a man with white hair. It was so funny I didn't know whether to bust out laughing or bust the old dame over the head. Yeah, she had it all figured out, even to the color of the guy's hair. I was going to be killed by a guy with white hair. <laughs> well, I got out through the back and hurried to my rooming house. Dave was waiting for me. You got a long-distance call a while ago. What? Nobody knows I'm here. Operator asked for Sam Gordon. Yeah, better not mess around with this. What difference does it make? She knows you're here. She said for you to call as soon as you got in. Operator 23. Go on, use the hall phone. Maybe it's a friend. I called operator 23, and she had a long-distance call for me, all right, in New York. But nobody knew I was here. What was going on? It took her a couple of minutes to complete the call, and I just stood there trying to figure out who it could be. Finally, she said she had my party. Hello, Sammy. Collins. I called you before. You were out. With all those cops looking for you, that's not very smart. What do you want? You didn't think I'd forgotten about you, did you, Sammy? How did you know I was here? I got ways of finding out. The reason I phoned, I've arranged for a guy to pay a little call on you to kind of settle things, you know? Yeah? Maybe you think I'm going to stay here and wait for your guy. No. That's why I called you. I know you'll start running. I want you to run. A man sweats when he runs, Sammy. And I like to think of you sweating. Of course, you could go to the cops. But then that wouldn't be so good either, would it? Look, if you think I'm going to listen to you Wait with a it... second. Don't hang up yet. I want to tell you something about the guy I hired to kill you. Kill me? You've heard of him. Yeah, he's really got a reputation for doing a job. Look, I, I'm hanging up, so save your breath. Let me tell you his name. Whitey Burke. Whitey... The fortune teller. 
I hung up the phone and went down the hall to Dave's room. You get your call, all right? Dave, you, you ever heard of a fellow named Whitey Burke? Yeah, I've heard of him. Well, you know most everything, so you might as well know this. That call was from Phil Collins in New York. He hired this Whitey Burke to, to kill me. Yeah? And if I were you, I'd run, not walk to the nearest police station. What are you talking about? If the cops get me, it means the chair. And what do you think it means if this Whitey gets you? Well, I'll take my chances. Suit yourself, but I want you out of here in ten minutes. Dave, I... I'm not turning this place into a shooting gallery. But look, how will I know him when I see him? What does he look like? I don't know. All I know is once Whitey Burke gets on to a guy... Okay, okay, but give me time to find another hideout. Now that the cops have seen me, they'll be looking for me all over the city. That's your worry. Get out. I could see there was no use arguing with Dave. I went upstairs and started packing. Within three days, you will be killed by a man with white hair. I checked my gun, slid it into my overcoat pocket. I could feel my heart go on a mile a minute. Within three days, you will be killed by a man with white hair. I had to stop thinking about that. I had to... Hey, police sirens. Dave was in the hall. You better get out of here quick. Squad car's out in the street. But how? Through the window. Hurry. Ran back into my room and across to the window. It's only a ten-foot drop to the rear alley. I dropped the suitcase with the money to the ground, and then I lowered myself down. And as I straightened up, I saw someone standing in the shadows. He was walking toward me. I couldn't see much of him in the darkness. What do you want? Collins sent me to look you up. Let's take a walk. I couldn't move. It was like looking into the eyes of a snake. And then finally the spell broke. I crouched down and started running toward him. I caught him by surprise and he fell to the ground. I sprinted down the alley. I'd left the money, but I was safe. But for how long? I'll never forget that night. There seemed to be a cop on every corner, and they were all looking for me. But they weren't alone. Whitey was looking for me, too, and he'd almost got me. I was going nuts trying to figure out what to do. I couldn't go back to Dave's. There was nobody else in Chicago I knew. I started walking the streets, ducking in the doorways every time a siren sounded. So tired, every bone in my body ached. When I was ready to just give up and fall on the street, I saw this old deserted house. Across the front was a big sign I could read by the dim light of the street lamp. This property condemned. I staggered inside and dropped to the floor into a deep sleep. When I woke up, I could see the sky was turning gray. It was morning. And then I smelled tobacco smoke and I realized somebody was beside me. Pretty good place to hide out, eh? I turned to the voice. The man was crouched on one knee looking at me. He wasn't wearing a hat. And his hair was white as snow. Yeah, in the five years I've been on a bum, I've used this old house lots of times. <sighs> Why, uh, what's the matter? <laughs> I thought you were somebody else. Want to smoke? I got to make you. No, no, I, I got to be going. This is a good day to stay off the street. Well, what do you mean? Too many cops. They got this whole neighborhood roped off trying to find the guy who killed that big shot back east. Is that right? Sure. Look at this newspaper I picked up on the street. Look at this headline. 
Killer trapped on south side. See, here's the map of the neighborhood right here on page two. All this dark part is where the cops have already searched. Yeah. And this white part's where we are, where they still have to search. Not much white part left, is there, Sam? No, not much. Hey, how come you know my name? You look pretty bad, but there's still a resemblance with his picture. What do you think you're going to do about it? Nothing. I don't love cops. That's why I say you better stay right here. And what about eating? I'm so hungry my stomach hurts. You got any money? I can go out and buy something. Uh, I got a little change. Now, let's see. A couple of quarters. About a buck altogether. Okay. I'll bring back some food. If the cops should start searching this house, there's plenty of room to hide. This is an old four-story flat. All right. But you better not try any double cross. Well, what makes you think I will? Maybe it's your white hair. Huh? Why, what do you mean? Ah, uh, nothing, nothing. Go on, get the food. And hurry back. But the old guy didn't hurry back. He didn't come back that day at all. I didn't dare leave the house to look for him. All that day and all that night, squad cars kept racing up and down the block. Yeah, the white part on that map was getting smaller all the time. The funny thing, what scared me most, what just about drove me nuts, was thinking about Whitey looking for me. And all through that second day and the third night, I, I I kept dozing off. And every time my eyes closed, I heard that voice. Within three days, you will be killed by a man with white hair. Uh, no! Uh. Within three days, you will be killed by a man with white hair. Oh, uh, please! Please leave me alone, please! Within three days, you will be killed by a man with white hair. Oh, oh please, please, please. Uh, uh, uh. Oh. Only a dream. Only a dream. It was night again. I lay back and started drifting off to sleep again. Then I heard someone coming into the house. I sprang to my feet. It wasn't a cop, it was someone else. I couldn't see nothing in the dark. Maybe it was the old guy. Hey, Pop, is that you? Pop, answer me. Is that you, Pop? Hard man to find. Whitey, I spun around and started running for the stairs. I was on the fourth floor. Whitey was coming up the steps behind me. I ran down the hall. I saw an open door and I ran inside and slammed the door shut after me. I tried to find the lock for the door, but there wasn't any. And I ran to the window. Four stories down the sidewalk. And I heard Whitey outside the door. What was I going to do? door was opening. I couldn't stand it. Just waiting for him to kill me. I, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't... Ah! Yeah, that's it, Inspector. I guess I went nuts. The swan dive to the street looked better to me than my pal, Whitey. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, we caught Whitey when he's trying to leave that house. Too bad you never met him. You might not have jumped through the window. What do you mean? I don't think he'd have scared you half so much. If you'd have known his hair was black. What? You've seen a hundred guys like him, living their lives in gin mills and pool halls, never getting any sunshine, their skin as white as a shark's belly. Yeah, that's why they called him Whitey. He was just a pasty-faced 
pumped. <laughs> How do you like that? The old dame with the cards was wrong from the word go. Me gonna be killed by a guy with white hair. <laughs> She'll be sore when she hears I killed myself. Huh? Nurse, nurse, come here. What is it? Uh, oh, who's this? Poor little guy. Went nuts one night about a month ago over a poker game and ruined his life. He must have gone through a terrible ordeal since then. Certainly doesn't look like the newspaper pictures, does it? Look at him. Why, his hair's turned white as snow. Dark Venture, tonight's performance in the Mystery Playhouse has been a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. was The Hideout from Dark Venture here on the mysterious old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was my pick. And, uh, you know, when it comes time for my pick in this podcast, first there's, oh, I don't know, 30 minutes of a panic attack when Joshua says, hey, can you pick one? And I go, yes, right away. And then I panic. Like, what do I want to do? I listened to 700 episodes of everything before I settled on this. I was trying to do something maybe wintry, right? Because we're here in the winter and I was like, ah, something blizzards or snow or something. And I couldn't find anything. And then I remembered we had our guest. Greg. Brought, yeah, but that brought Dark Venture to our attention. And I said at the time, oh, I was always getting Dark Venture confused with Bold, Bold Venture. Venture. And I hadn't really realized this was a separate thing. And it opened my eyes. And I was like, oh, I, I told him in that podcast that, I, Greg, I'm going to listen to more of these. And uh, so I listened to all 15. Uh, a couple of them I stopped soon in. The quality is so bad that I couldn't make it through. Sound quality uh, sound or quality, story? Sound quality. Okay. And then everyone I listened to, I wanted to be done and say, good, I'm sending that one. And I was like, no, nope, I'm not satisfied to send that. It wasn't until the last one I listened to, which was this one, that I went, finally. Um, I will tell you, there's another episode, and I can't remember the name of it right now, that exists 
that the plot is very similar, really similar to this uh, man on the run. And I think it's called the chase actually. And he's running and makes a huge mistake by killing someone he shouldn't kill. <laughs> and so there's some, a lot of similarities. The reason I chose this one is because not only was it much better than that other one for a lot of reasons, the layers, but it's William Conrad. Yeah. And it really spoke to me performance-wise especially. So I settled on this one, and I will say that uh, The Dark Venture, uh, overall, the excitement that I had, I'm tampering it down. Some of them are good, but this one I, I thought stood out from the 15 that remain. So there, that's why I brought it. Nice. Tim, tell him stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you about William Conrad. Uh, he's sort of an essential ingredient mm-hmm. in this because he humanizes this character who really is, as he describes himself, a tin horn. Right? He is not anyone who's really likable, so you need that performance from Conrad to really mm-hmm. put you in his shoes and to feel the panic and the tension that he is Mm -hmm. feeling. So he really does a lot to hold the script together because every choice this guy makes is bad. It's on him. He did not need to jump into that game. Even after he lost all that money he and they the, were making fun of him, he could have just taken his 40 bucks back that they offered yep. him, even though it was a, a insulting joke. But it, he chose to <laughs> shoot that guy like right. four times. He, he made the gambler mistake, which is if you're up. Yeah, the and cards are hot. You're right, the cards are hot. And you're like, I don't know what the limit is going to be. Like, I'm up 40,000. Crap, if I stop now, what if the top was 80, right? You just don't know when you're at the top until it's all over. Or you walk away and then you spend your time as a gambler going, I wonder if there was more. And then when you start to lose it, instead of going, okay, stop there, better to have this half, you go, okay, I just got to get back to what I knew the top was. I got to get back to that 40,000 so that I can go home and go, okay, at least I got back there, which very, very rarely happens that you get back to that point. So you just go, well, then I'll just spend it all hoping to get back up there again. And then when you get down to nothing, you have that horrible choice where now you start going into debt, right, to get back to the hot, right? It's It was interesting to me from a gambling standpoint that I've been in that situation of making that mistake. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting is that instead of making it a situation in which he was indebted, so he was panicked or needed to come up with money to save his life, he only shot that guy and pulled the gun because he was angry and humiliated. He just gained all the money and lost it, and they were going to just throw 40 bucks at him. Well, in that same vein of being of a gambler addict, like, no, that money's mine. I had it briefly. To back up what Tim just said and what you're saying, yes, he was humiliated by them, but you also have to understand in that moment that for the gambler, you're also mad at yourself and Mm -hmm. humiliated by yourself. Yeah. When you were like, I had 40 grand, especially in 1942, which meant that, you know, he was Steve Jobs. 
or yeah. whoever's rich today. And I admit that gambling is one of those vices that I just, there's Good no part of my DNA that is tempted by it. I'm like, oh, you were 200 bucks ahead? That's great. Even by 2022 <laughs> standards, right. I'd take that and walk away. I got $2. Woo! Big winner. I'll <laughs> right? take it. I'd have no temptation to join that game again. Right. Not a single one. Him killing him, I thought it was played really well performance-wise and how it was written that the anger is, oh my God, I screwed up. I screwed up. And again, they did humiliate him and goad him further. But part of it is anger at yourself. And then that's, oh my God, what have I done? I shot the guy, which propels this journey of regret. (laughs) This journey of regret is what this whole thing should have been named. (laughs) Or Susu Studio. (laughs) Oh, Oh, crack that open. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> I had a hard time getting past Phil Me Collins. too. It just cracked me up. Something in the air much. tonight. Yeah. yeah. I tried not to make jokes, but it's against <laughs> all odds. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I think if we've just named everyone I can. Wait, we'll give you time because you can't hurry love. <laughs> oh. Look what you're doing. <laughs> I, every song you've mentioned, I don't like. Land of Confusion? Is that, is that him? Land of Confusion? Oh, that yeah. was Peter Gabriel. Wow, that's going to start a fight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what else I liked about this, other than the writing and the uh, performance, I, and I think you're right, Joshua, that you alluded to that uh, there's something blasé about what's going on here, story-wise. It's, you know, it's not... Wow! Oh, I really wasn't good. critiquing no, no. this story at all. No, but there, I mean, yeah, the no, story no. What isn't I'm getting kind of about when I'm down and out, like this, yeah. this, this is a wretched story about a wretched man. What yes. I'm getting at is, yes, that well, agreeing with you that I believe that this is elevated by performance mm-hmm. again, Conrad. Something that somebody else would do, I think, would come across to us as yeah, it's fine, it's good, yeah. yeah. I think has a little bit more. Ah, it's really good, for me at least, because of performance and the nuances of that performance. I also like just the layers of one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and then he ends up in that carnival. Well, in that same vein of what you were saying, that every bad thing that happens to him, he goes out of his way to invite it. Yep. Of like, even in the carnival, she's trying not to say this thing she saw to him, but he insists on hearing it (laughs) and thereby makes it happen. Had he not heard that, he probably would not have made all the dumb mistakes that follow. Yeah. In that way, there's a lot to really admire about the script, because the whole script is leading us to this point where he is the architect of his own destruction. Literally, he throws himself out a window. He's the man with the white hair who kills himself. And it's from the get-go. Everything Mm -hmm. is he did it to himself. Boom, boom, boom. From the very beginning of the choice that he made of didn't know when to hold them, didn't know when to fold them, right? Just kept getting worse. It really hit my sweet spot when he uh, ran off to Chicago and then it starts being like, oh, there's a carnival in town. Oh, he's being followed by an Irish cop. Oh, there's a fortune teller with a cryptic (laughs) prophecy. And I'm like, yes, I love all these tropes. Bring it, bring it. That's what I was saying. Like, I love how it just threw us in a tropey scene after tropey scene. Yeah, let's do them all. Like carnival sounds, it was missing. Is like should have been in a blizzard and then on a train. Like you know, like should have been. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the twist at the end because, and this is the big question: I didn't see it coming that he had the white hair. 
there was a moment, uh, which I, I love it when my little mini um, theater of the mind is so wrong, so, so wrong, that I was thinking, oh, I bet he gets caught by the cops and he's thrown in jail and found guilty and executed by a guy in white hair. And then I went, in three days. No, no, that's probably not the law <laughs> system. Of, like, we're going to have you tried, executed, right, half a week. Half a week. <laughs> That'd be too efficient. Did you I see it coming? I did see it coming based on the framing sequence a little before it happened, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew, oh, he's hurt himself. Well, basically, as soon as he threw himself out the window. And we knew from the top that he was dying. And yes, I'm a sucker. I love that rarely used trope of stress or horror turning your hair white. Right. I right. love it. It's in a couple of my favorite TV shows. Twin Peaks uses it. The very underrated Millennium from the late '90s used it, and it's a really evocative thing. It's because it's so—it's strangely visceral, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like some horror. It's one thing to scare you to have this internal emotional response, right. but to have it have some physical it's like manifestation. A mark on your soul. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I've always thought. You know, obviously, it doesn't happen in real life, so people don't always use it. It's usually in a stylized format. I mean, yes. I'm no, looking I, at you right now. You're gray as hell. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I, the, the look on my face wasn't to argue with you. The look was, it doesn't? Well, not overnight. Not Obviously, literally. Every, it doesn't? Not literally. Not. I thought that every, actually happened to people, that they got... Over a larger period of time, because you look at every president, right? Like, right. Oh, well, yeah. Barack Obama <laughs> got white within four months yeah. on his yeah. The White House hair. is filled with ghosts. <laughs> right. 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 That's why? Yes. Because they're scared? But not the overnight, uh, which which I just love that trope. That, that just instant response. See, I thought there was an, something that could happen to you that could turn your... <laughs> Air instantly white. Do you also believe in spontaneous combustion? Uh, I, I don't know if I believe in it or not. No one's proven it doesn't. <laughs> I'm trying to think of old hackneyed tropes right. like that. There's that uh, scene in X-Men where Rogue's hair turns white, which is just was so cool. You just watch it turn white. Sorry. <laughs> Here's why it caught me. Because I've forgotten up until that point that the fortune teller had said that to him. So it wasn't really. Yeah, it wasn't. How could you? Because that's my one criticism of this episode is that the the final third is a little repetitive and not uh. as exciting as the others. And part of my criticism of it is like you're now just padding this out by having him flash back to the fortune teller saying over and over again, "A man with white hair will kill you." I mean, I, I, I get that it's establishing that his anxiety is what's driving him. It's, yeah. it's that mania is why he's yeah. behaving so weirdly. But it does really. Uh, for someone who is not driven by panic by what the fortune teller said, it came a little annoying for me. Yeah, they just seemed like they were missing one more really engaging uh, obstacle for him. Because waking like up... dinosaurs. The... <laughs> awesome! <laughs> but, you know, having the guy who is squatting in the abandoned house scare him when he wakes up. It's just, it was lesser than the other conflicts he had to deal with in it the earlier a conflict, half. But it, it did jump me a little. Yeah. When he got... I mean, the description of a guy kind of on one knee staring at him was yep. startling, but then it's just like, oh, it's just an old man who's going to steal his loose change. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think I found this interesting because it was psychologically interesting to watch him try to stop making bad choices and make it all okay. It's, a, it's not going to happen. It's a fun story game of telling mm-hmm. someone how they're going to die in specific situations of this is what's going to happen and... Brechtian. Right, the, you know the to answer to the end of the story, and then the story is just being told what happened. Or if it's Chekhov's albino, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! Now someone's gonna have to use the albino. <laughs> um, 
but you become obsessed with the details of whatever this is, and your whole life becomes about this prophecy. So that, yeah, Yeah. it it sucks the joy of your life, however long it's going to be. I thought there were... Unless the prophecy is like, you're going to die at an eaten birthday cake. (laughs) You're like, bring it! (laughs) Uh, I really like the framing sequence, because I thought it was well done, because it hooks you into the story, because it doesn't tell you all the information right away, right? Like, so... He's in the hospital. He knows he's going to die. There's a inspector, so the police are there. So some crime has happened, and he has a sort of uh, hard-boiled manner to him, but you're not sure how it all connects. So you're immediately like, oh, I want to hear the story. Yes, and you'd never expect, like, fortune teller at a carnival yeah, to be part of this. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's a great intro. There's another nice detail exactly. where they have this uh, sweat callback where uh, – Phil Collins <laughs> tells him in the poker game to wipe off his hands because he doesn't want sweat on the cards. And then later he calls him back and he's like, I want you to run. I want yep. to see you sweat, right? And he also says, you're an easy lover, which I thought was weird. You <laughs> <laughs> did another one. How many more? And then broke into a drum solo. It was really weird. <laughs> uh, in the air tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anybody else got any thoughts on this? Because... I'm ready to vote on it unless there's any observations. Because I will tell you, I wanted to do Dark Venture because it was introduced to us by our Patreon guest and found out there were 15 episodes. And I was like, oh, this isn't Bold Venture. <laughs> ah, here's a whole series that I can listen to. Here is the opportunity to do it, to find another one, to see what these are all about because I was intrigued by it. And here's what I found out. I'm going to save everybody a lot of time. This is the best of what of the 15. I, it really is. This is as good as it got. Some of them were not great, and some of them were okay, but this was as good as it, it got for me, in my own personal opinion, is, hey, everybody, if you're going to listen to Dark Venture, you can listen to this one and be done. I think it stands the test of time. I think it's a classic, interesting, basic uh, plot of whatever, uh, man making bad choices. But then also William Conrad elevates it for me. I thought it was uh, made it much better and more nuanced because he's fantastic. And uh, and that's it. I, I really was like, here, here's the best dark venture in my opinion. You're all done with it now. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I can uh, I will vaguely uh, take issue of uh, having not re- listened to all the dark venture. Like I've listened to this one, and I think this one's great. And even if this is the best one, I'm sure there's other dark ventures out there that I would enjoy very much even if it's not as good as this one. Yeah. Is this the only one with Phil Collins? <laughs> yes, that's why. Okay. They're fine. I get, you know what? It might have been my expectation going in. <gasps> New yeah. series that I really love. Ah, oh, they're all, oh, that, that was okay. I don't know what I want. Uh, but part I of mean, the it's prob- fair to say, like, the one we heard was really good, and yeah. this one's really good, and the rest are not as good, but... Yeah. But it's not really fair when there was a series that broadcast 120 episodes, yep. and, and they only have 15 left. Maybe it is literally the 15... Worst worst episodes of I'm it. Just, and yeah, I'm just saying out of the 15 that are left. But yes, I, I think... I'm sorry, I got lost. Are we voting? What's yeah. happening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think this is a classic. It's really good. Wow. You give it the classic. I will. Um, it's uh, a great representation of the things that William Conrad is so good at. Um, the script is very clever and taut. T-A-U-T, not T-A-U-G-H-T. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's both very grounded and visceral 
mm-hmm. uh, and also intellectually just interesting um, to yep. think about the the concepts of this guy's dumb journey. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that would have been a great name for this. <laughs> Dumb Odyssey. <Yeah. laughs> um, I wouldn't go so far as calling it a classic, but I liked it because it is a classic crime story. And I love crime stories about the, mm-hmm. the, the people who are, again, the authors of their own doom. Mm-hmm. And you can see, like, they're, but for the grace of God, go I. You can empathize with, like, oh, there are times where I made a bad decision. I didn't make six of them like that in a row, but uh, <laughs> my batting but, average is better. <laughs> but right. still, there's enough to empathize in addition to uh, William Conrad's performance. Definitely stands the test of time. I do think it dragged in that last third, but it pulled it out with that twist, yep. which I think works. Even though I anticipated it, and I knew that it had to somehow involve white hair where you least expect it, but... <laughs> Which is the name of my middle-aged autobiography. <laughs> White hair, you least expected. Uh, but it still landed, and it still sold it. And so, good job, Dark Venture. <laughs> uh, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. Uh, it's also a place where you can vote in polls. Let us know what you think of these episodes. You can leave comments. You can leave comments on other people's comments. Talk to, to each other. Have a conversation, for God's sake. Um, you can link to our social media pages. You can uh, link to our Threadless store. Get some mysterious old radio swag. Or you can link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Do you enjoy this podcast? Do you want us to keep doing it? I'm just going to hold the podcast hostage. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give us money, and we'll give it back to you. (laughs) So just go to patreon.com slash themorals, where you'll find all sorts of bonus stuff, extra podcasts, uh, ways to hang out with your mysterious old hosts. It's fun. Trust me. Thank you. If you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a theater gr- uh, extension of this. Uh, <laughs> having I, a hard time downing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do the we, we do recreations of classic old-time radio shows live on stage or and a lot of our own original work. Um, if you'd like to see us performing, we perform monthly, and you can go to ghoulishdelights.com or Mysterious old radio listening society.com to see where we're performing this month and what we're performing and how to get tickets if you can't go become a patreon and you get to watch it because we film them and give them to our patreons that the the of our live shows so that's another way you can do it if especially if you're out of state we're in the you know, Minnesota may not be convenient yeah. for most people. It is people. not worth coming to Minnesota for us. Just become a patron. <laughs> not right now, it ain't. <laughs> hey, what's coming up next? Uh, next is my choice, and we will be listening to Little Jake from a series we have yet to discuss on this podcast, Pete Kelly's Blues featuring the great Jack Webb. Until then... Look out! Yeah? Sam, this is Phil Collins. Oh, yeah, Mr. Collins. Please give me one more night. Give me just one more night. Oh, one more night. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't. Ah!